Okay, so what are we doing this morning? We are continuing in the book of Romans. We come to the part of the book of Romans that God tells us what we are saved from, right? So we talk about, is that person saved or am I saved or so-and-so saved? What does that really mean? As Christians, we talk about being saved, about God saving, but have we ever took a step back and thought, hmm, saved from what? Right? Today, the scripture is going to answer that question for us. So if you're able to stand, let's please stand for the reading of God's word. We are in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Okay, uh, let's see here. Okay, no wonder I was looking at 6. All right. The word of God reads as follows. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that justification we have in Christ is by faith and faith alone. Thank you for your word speaking to us about the great truth that you save undeserving sinners like us. We pray that your Holy Spirit give us conviction this morning of our sin and that we may turn to you to be reconciled, as the text says, either for the first time in saving faith or as we are being sanctified day by day as your children. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so in studying for this sermon, I have adapted an illustration from the late Charles Spurgeon. In this illustration, it was a reflection asking the following question. And the question is, Spurgeon asks, is it not foolish to be living in this world without a thought of what you will do at last? To illustrate that, I've adapted the story, the reflection that he put. I basically put some more modern terms in here because some of the English that he used, at least to me, maybe to you it wouldn't be unfamiliar, but to me I was like, uh, honey, what does this word mean? <laughs> right, so I've adapted it. Hopefully it'll be uh, more straightforward. So it goes something like this. A man goes into a luxury resort and as he's attended, he begins to order his wine, his fine dining, his extravagant suite, etc. He stays at this resort for some time. There is no lavish item of service or food that he skips on. Day by day, the charges are accumulating. On the day of his checkout, it takes him by surprise. He exclaims, I never thought it would be this much. Why didn't I think of this? When the resort manager is made aware that someone can't pay what is due, he says, well, Here's a man who is either born a fool or is a careless, inconsiderate joker. Did he never think 
the day of checkout and settling his account would come. To that then Spurgeon adds a comment. After this fashion too, many live. They eat, they drink, and sin, but they forget the inevitable hereafter. When for all the deeds done in the body, the Lord will bring us into judgment. With that reflection and those questions, let us consider the title of today's message. It is God's mercy in saving part three. In the subtitle, but saved from what? Right? What are we saved from? Just as this illustration that we just thought about and, and heard, don't we many times act as if we are staying in this resort called Earth, this world, and we pretend that there's no checkout date in, in, any, in, the, in the near future or even in the long term. We perhaps don't think that as much. We are reminded today that a bill of charges is piling up, which is the sin that we have against God. It accumulates every day. And on the day of our checkout, so to speak, when we take our last breath, the Lord of heaven and earth will settle accounts with each one of us. So in studying this morning's passage, we will examine how God is merciful. First, just for us being here, breathing, being alive. That is God's mercy. We don't deserve that. That's his grace. And then we should ask, ask ourselves, if I'm saved, what am I saved from? Or some may ask, do I even need saving? Saving from what? I'm fine. So what is Paul's main point in this text as we consider this? The main point in this text, or at least how we will approach it by taking this bite, bite-sized chunks of Romans, it is that Christians, hear me, Christians, not everybody, Christians are justified, saved, and reconciled to God because of Jesus. We're going to consider this in three points in God's mercy in saving us. First, we're going to answer the first question, where are we saved from? Saved from what? Secondly, we're going to answer the question, how can we go from hostility, from being enemies, to being reconciled, to being friends, to being children of God? And when I talk about hostility, I mean against God. We're enemies of God, as we're told in this passage. And then thirdly, this should lead to some assurance and joy of being at peace with God. All right, so... Let us get started then. The first verse. Saved from what? Romans 5, 9 says, Therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The first two words, since therefore. What is that there for? This is a continuation, a sequel of Paul's thought process as he's developing the case of how God saves sinners. Paul had just finished stating in the passage before this that we covered last week, 
that in human terms, someone might dare to die for a good person, for somebody they consider worthy of dying for. He contrasts that to Jesus, how Jesus died for those that do not, do not deserve anyone giving anything up for them, let alone dying for them. Paul says, in such way God has demonstrated his love to his people by dying for those who do not deserve it. Now, Paul states here in verse 9, the following theological truth bombs. First, he says that Christians are justified by the blood of Christ. Justified, right? Paul keeps using this term. What is justified? That refers to a legal standing, someone being in good standing with somebody of much higher authority. That is, someone who is in good standing with God, legally speaking, justified. Now, justified, what? By the blood of Christ, in verse 9. How does this take place? How can this justification be applied to someone? Well, we'll read that in Romans 5.1, which is the thought process that Paul is following. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified, there it is, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then access to being made right before God is by faith, by faith in what Jesus has done. Leaving his throne, entering this world through a virgin birth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for us guilty sinners, being buried and rising up again on the third day, then ascending back into heaven in bodily form, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is reigning as Lord. So repenting of sin, trusting in that, in that Jesus, receiving forgiveness of our sins, that is how one is declared just. One receives the not guilty verdict before God. So then those who are made right before God, those who are justified through faith in Christ, it's not by doing any good works, right? Paul already took the time to come to this place in Romans where he already established that Neither Jew nor Gentile could ever say that they attained favor with God by either being a Jew, by being ignorant of God's laws. Like, no, Paul already established that. Everybody's doomed. Everybody's on the same boat. Jew and Gentile. So then those that have repented of sin and put their trust in Christ, they have been transformed in mind and heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those people are the ones that are saved. Okay? Justified, being made right with God, by faith in what Christ has done. And then we are saved. Now, let's understand, saved from what? Going back to the illustration of the opening of the sermon, the man who lived carelessly in that luxury hotel and accumulated all that debt, let us identify ourselves with such men. We are not that different. We all have lived it up in this world in one form or another. And when that bill comes, at the time of checkout, none of us will be able to pay that bill. None of us. So what is the consequence of not being able to pay for our sin? The consequence is receiving God's wrath. Okay, that's what Paul says here. We are saved from God's wrath. If you cannot foot the bill, 
you will receive God's wrath. A person will pay. And the price is so expensive that the price for that is eternity in judgment, in hell, a place of torment. So let us consider what Jesus talks about when he says, and he is telling people, warning people of the judgment to come. Let us look at Matthew 10, 28. Jesus speaking, and it says the following. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Mark 9, 47 to 48. This is Jesus speaking again. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell. Where, there is, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So we get this insight of what Jesus tells us. Judgment, hell, the wrath of God is like. How someone will pay for their own debt, for their own sin. That they owe to God. At a place where he says their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Let us examine that for a bit. When we say people go to hell, people are condemned. What does Jesus mean? What does the scripture say that that is like? Where does that idea come from? Well, Jesus there is quoting Isaiah 66, 24, which says the following. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. So when Jesus is speaking these words to his hearers, his hearers are not ignorant of what Jesus is speaking about. To be more specific, the word hell in the Greek is the word for Gehenna. Brother Johnny talked a little bit about this in his Sunday school today. That is derived, Gehenna, from the Hebrew name called Valley of Hinnom. So the Jewish hearers would often associate the Valley of Hinnom, a real place, with spiritual death. Jesus uses this place to illustrate the agonies of judgment, eternal judgment in hell. Now Gehenna was a real place. It was an ancient garbage dump place outside of Jerusalem in the south. And in Old Testament times, this place is described in where all kinds of atrocities would take place. This is where children who had been sacrificed to idols were burned. We see that when King Josiah was bringing a positive reform to God's people. And in 2 Kings 23 verse 10, we read the following. And he, speaking of Josiah, defiled Topeth which is the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. So we see what kind of things would take place at such a place. In addition, Gehenna was where all these abominations took place and was constantly burning with waste, including ordinary trash, unclean animal carcasses, and even convicted criminals. 
according to Jeremiah 7, 31 to 33. Thus, this was considered a place of impurity, uncleanness, and judgment. And as far as the people living there around that place could tell, this was just ongoing. It would never end. It would just keep going. So Jesus, in this illustration, is making it clear that Gehenna is a place where their worm does not die. Worm is the literal term for maggot. So the association is that a garbage dump like that, with all that filth, maggots attach themselves to dead bodies and eat the dead flesh. Their worm does not die. Now, in that garbage dump, as this trash and all this waste and all these bodies are being eaten up by maggots and or burned up, there will come a time, there has to be a finite time where it's done, right? The body is burnt. The maggots ate all the flesh that was there to be eaten. It's finite. But Jesus makes it clear that at this place where you do not want to go, that will never end. The worm does not die. And it says their worm, meaning the maggots attach themselves to a body, will not finish. That's the real Gehenna, the real hell that Jesus is talking about. That's serious stuff. Do we believe Jesus? Or do we kind of just, eh, yeah, you know, judgment, hell, yeah, no big deal. I dare to say many of us take a very light attitude when we discuss these things. And we are, again, like that man in the illustration, living it up, not thinking about the day where he'll have to check out and a bill is going to be given to him. When we talk about God's judgment, this is a glimpse of what the Bible means. The wrath of God being executed upon those who are unrepentant and are not declared righteous. Those who are not justified by faith in Christ. Now someone may say, wait a minute, that's not fair. Like what happened to the punishment fitting the crime? That's pretty extreme. Even if God is real, someone may ask, the punishment is pretty extreme. Why is that? Now that's, that's not too bad of a question, right? That, that could be a genuine question. That question would make sense, I propose to you. If it was a debt owed from a human to a human, right, you cannot chastise or punish that your fellow neighbor for eternity. That, that would be unfitting of the crime, right? Well, in a justice system, when a law is broken, the severity of the offense needs to fit the consequence of the punishment. That is what we as humans would declare fair. But let us understand this. Sin against God is the highest form of offense that a human being can do, that a, that a person can transgress. So then the offense to a holy God is such a high crime that the only way to pay the crime in full is if God himself pays it. Otherwise, it would be like making a perpetual monthly payment, if you will. And that will be done with your own soul burning up in eternal hell. It's like you're paying interest only, right? You're never going to finish paying. That is what this is likened to. Now, if it's to be paid in full, I said, God must be, do it, must be able to do it himself. That was already accomplished 
in the work of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul keeps saying justified, justified by faith, by faith in Christ. So then is it fair? Yeah, it is not unfair. Rather, eternal punishment is the only way justice can be served to a person who sinned against the holy God and did not trust in Christ to receive Christ's righteousness. If God were to let go, a criminal go, a guilty sinner go, then God would not be just because he's overlooking and looking past sin. So then how can we go then from hostility to reconciliation? This is what Paul's talking to. Romans 5.10, it reads, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Okay. So there's good news here. But there's bad news first. Paul says, for while we were enemies. I tell you, while we, while we, Acts Reformed Church, while we were enemies. Enemies of who? Of God. Once again, Paul points out. There should be no boasting, no such thing as, well, you know, I'm saved because I'm mostly a good person. God gave me a break. He looked upon me with favor because of that. No. Or I make God halfway. I clean myself up and then God, no. Paul already dealt with that, right? Up to this chapter, he already dealt with that. No such nonsense or any variation thereof will be true. As sinners without Christ, all are enemies of God. So anyone here then or anyone watching this sermon, please know this. If you do not know Jesus as your only Savior, you are an enemy of God. You are not neutral. You are an enemy of God. You hate God. And hear me. God hates you and God hates your sin. Read Psalm 5.5. Read Psalm 11.5. And to you, dear Christian, please do not sugarcoat evangelism by telling unsafe folks something like God loves you and has, has a wonderful plan for your life. Yes. Don't dare to say that when that's not true. Giving someone false assurance. We never start with the self-interest of the sinner. No. We always start with God. There is a God who is creator of heaven and earth who owns you and who you hate. That God you hate and disobey is going to reckon accounts with you in judgment. So in the name of Christ, I beg you, repent. There is forgiveness for you if you trust in Christ. Let us look at Psalm 7, verses 11 to 13. It says, God is the righteous judge. And a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. This is speaking of coming judgment from God. And unless we repent, unless you repent, that is about the only plan God has for your life. Okay? So that's a recap then of being outside of Christ, being enemies of God. That's bad news. That's pretty severe stuff. That being said, are there any good news? Oh, yes. Yes. Thanks be to God. There's great news. 
that while being enemies, while being far from God, God has shown his mercy in sending Christ to die for us. Paul says we are reconciled to God by the death of Jesus. Just as we were told that we were justified by his blood, that speaks now specifically of the death of Christ. The blood that Christ shed on the cross when he was sacrificed. And Paul says then that because of that we are reconciled. This is when one party becomes restored to a favorable or friendly relation with another after a presumed wrongdoing. Reconciled. And understand this. The reconciliation that we have with God, it is dependent on the offended party on God's behalf, not on the offender. In other words, we as the offender party, the sinner, we cannot do what is required. And there will never be reconciliation unless the offended party, that is God Almighty, takes initiative to reconcile us. So then if we are reconciled with God, is because He, the Holy Spirit, not us, took the initiative and convicted of a sin. If we have reconciliation, it is because of He, God the Father, not us, pursued us to have peace. If we are reconciled with God, it's because He, Jesus, not us, lived a perfect life of obedience and died on the cross, making us reconciled with God. That's how we get to go from hostility with God to peace with God. Reconciliation. Then Paul says in this verse that we are saved by his life. Right? Talking about his death, his blood. Like he says, by his life. What does that mean? Well, this can apply in at least two ways. First, the life of Christ was perfect. He was born under the law. Galatians 4.4. He committed no sin, no deceit was ever found in his mouth. 1 Peter 2.22. Right? So by his life, by his perfection. And secondly, the ministry of Jesus did not end with his death his, and his burial. There was life after that. We are told that the pangs of death could not hold on to Christ. We read that in Acts 2.24. Jesus had to rise because he had no sin. So the penalty of sin could not hold him back. He resurrected. So in those two senses, by his life, he lived a perfect life. And also by his life, that he could not remain dead. He resurrected. We are saved by his life. So then that, what does that cost? If we are understanding these truths takes us to our third point then we have assurance of joy that we are at peace with God assurance and joy that we are at peace with God Romans 5 11 more than that we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation see Paul says we also rejoice we again he's talking to Christians we Rejoice. He's talking to a local church. Again, to anyone here, to anyone watching, if you are not a Christian, you should feel no joy. If you have no joy, there's no surprise there. 
There's no joy in learning the bad news about the judgment of God. The worst enemy you could have, you do have, and it is God. You will not win. So cry out to him that he may grant you understanding of his gospel, that the Holy Spirit will give you conviction of sin, and that he will grant you repentance to trust in Christ. Anything else will be a false shot fired. Now, if you are a Christian, according to this verse, I will ask you, Christian, where is your joy? Do you have joy? Yes, there's trials. Yes, there's tribulations. Yes, there are tests. Christian, where is your joy? And this is not a platitude. I mean, today, where is your joy? We are gathered here together as God's people on the Lord's day. Do we have joy? If we don't, my brothers and sisters, we have not begun to understand how much favor God has shown us. In a very practical sense, then, we need to ask ourselves, where is our daily joy? Where's our gratitude? Where's our attitude to persevere? Where's our willingness to serve? Where is our desire for the things of God? Where is our desire to be with the people of God? And as we do these things, do you feel joy? Or are you feeling obligated in some sense? To love God and his people, to be in the things of God in the Christian walk should bring us joy. Here's a practical test then of whether we are reconciled with God. Let us ask ourselves, how much trouble is it for us? How much trouble is it for you to seek reconciliation with your fellow humans? Your spouse, your child, your friend, co-worker, etc. Or put another way, do you have built up resentment and have no plans of reconciling? This is a dangerous warning if that is the case, because either we are not reconciled with God or we have forgotten how much grace God has shown us in reconciling us, reconciling us to himself. Him who has been forgiven much, loves much. Him who has been forgiven little, loves little. My Christian brother or sister, if this is you, if you have issues reconciling, I'm not saying don't have conflict. I'm going to have conflict later today. Don't jinx myself, right? But, but once we do, are we, are we quick to reconcile or do we keep resentment? That is a test of whether you have been reconciled with God truly. Let us read Romans 12, verse 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Here it is. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. seems that we want to take the place of God. I don't want to reconcile. I want to bring wrath upon them. They, they're, they're had it coming to them. My brothers, pray for me. This is hard for me personally. This is hard. 
Because I want God to use me to execute his wrath. I want to rip somebody's head off. Okay? And maybe some of you are in the same boat. The wrath of God will deal with that. And if God is merciful, the sacrifice of Jesus will pay for that. So then what have we learned then? What are some takeaway reflections from, from this passage? Well, first, let us be clear. What are we saved from? What are we saved from? We are saved from our sins, from hell, from the wrath of God. The answer is yes. From all those things. Meaning, from our sins, that is our disobedience, it makes us guilty. And without a savior, a person will pay their own sin debt in hell. Sin, hell, judgment. Which is the wrath of God. Our sins, hell, wrath of God. Yes, that is what we're saved from. Ultimately from the wrath of God. Secondly, let us consider that Peace with God. Reconciliation was not free. Now we receive as a gift from God. We receive grace from Him. But that was not free. The debt accrued against the Holy God was paid. And it was paid in full by Christ for those who trust in Him. Jesus took the punishment to make salvation possible for His people. This should motivate us to obey God. And then thirdly, the last question is, today, this very morning, are you reconciled with God? There is no goodness that we can offer Christ. There is no good behavior that we can bank on to say, well, I've been pretty good. So yeah, today I'm feeling like I've been, I don't know about tomorrow. But right now, yeah, nope, wrong. Are you reconciled with God? If we are, then we have assurance of joy and peace of being reconciled with God. So let us fall upon the mercy of Christ, knowing that there's nothing outside of trusting in Jesus that we can do to become righteous in his sight. And that is the great news, my brothers and sisters, that we are reconciled. And that that king, that great majestic king that we had offended and, and robbed and attempted to burn his palace. Instead of him executing us, he's welcomed us into his kingdom and made us partakers of his inheritance. And he's no longer going to execute us. Think about that. In that we should rejoice. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have justification in Christ. That we can trust in Christ. That the offer of salvation has been extended so that we can live. I pray, Lord, that this morning your Holy Spirit may really convict us of these truths either to be reconciled for the first time by trusting in Christ, by repenting of sin, by confessing our sin to Jesus, 
or that it would give us the alignment that we need, the reformation to come back into, into the faith and trusting in Christ as we are being sanctified day by day, that we would repent. And lastly, Lord, we pray that as we live in such a way, we will be joyful and that we would be witnesses to those around us because of the peace that we have with you. Thank you for these truths. In the name of Jesus, amen.